0: Whoa, wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the fucking Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Point for Hughes, middle of the ice, long wrist shot, he scores.
1: That's beyond embarrassing.
0: Down low, Kuzmenko threw it out front, batted out of midair, and in by Brock Besser.
1: It's ridiculous, really is, pathetic.
0: Towards the Sharks' goal, cutting in, he scores. (laughs) He's already dead. Make that a three-on-one. Hughes, left wing, right circle, Hughes, shooter scores. Stop pummeling me. It's really painful.
1: Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Broth it is SportsNet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios, in the beautiful Fairview Slopes of Vancouver, Jason, good morning. Good morning. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie. good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Dilawri Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. I still can't believe we watched that last night. That was unbelievable. Uh, hour one of this program is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com.
2: We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintech footwear, and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star
1: Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Really big show, really big show on a Friday. This is the eve of a tremendous sports weekend, a big weekend at BC Place, big weekend for all of your local sporting squadrons. We have so much to get into. It uh, begins at 6.30. Brady Henderson, our Seahawks insider from ESPN, is going to join us. Uh, there's been a lot that's gone on this week that we're going to get to talk to Brady about. The big trade for Leonard Williams, the big game on the weekend. Probably the Seahawks' most difficult uh, test this season, all due respect to that road game in Detroit from earlier in the year. But they got a big test in Baltimore. We'll talk to Brady about that at 6.30. 7.30. It's the Moj. Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us on the program. Saturday, BC Place, Upper Bowl is open. It's the rematch of sorts between the BC Lions and the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, the, I believe the Lions are a six-and-a-half-point home favorite, a comfortable home favorite, despite the fact that Calgary beat them in that meaningless season finale. Talk to Moj about that at 30. 8 o'clock, Rick Dollywall uh, our Canucks, we're not allowed to call him an insider, so just a Canucks dude, I suppose. Uh, Donnie and Dolly Check TV, he's gonna join us in the wake of Vancouver's 10 1. You did not hear me incorrectly. 10 1 victory over the San Jose Sharks in San Jose last night. Uh, also today, we're giving away a final pair of KISS tickets. KISS is gonna be at Rogers Arena on Wednesday, November 8th. Uh, if you want those, you can send a what we learned or an ask us anything. Hashtag it, WWL or AUA, and we'll stick with the music note emoji for these ones. It's just easier, okay? Uh, I did mention it's Ask Us Anything Friday. Uh, Keep that on the books as well. I forgot to mention, I'm going to do it now, our playnow.com NFL Locks of the Week kicks off for real later in the show. I'm very excited about that because you, very quietly and sneakily, have had a good year with Locks of the Week. Yeah, yeah. I'm basically a savant. And I just ruined it. Yeah. That's the show. That's what's happening. I'm very excited. Uh, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was...
2: We know how busy your life can be. What
0: happened? You missed that? You missed that? What
1: happened? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.com. CA at 5:59 this morning, Frosty the snow thrower texted into the program. Good morning everyone. Good morning Frosty. I hope you're all doing well today. Um what was that? That's a very good question, Frosty. <laughs> I am still actually trying to comprehend what I witnessed last night. The Vancouver Canucks went into San Jose and beat the San Jose Sharks in a regular season NHL hockey match. 10 to 1. And you know what? It still wasn't the most remarkable game of the
2: season for me. The most remarkable game of the season for me was when they beat the Oilers
1: 8-1. I am having a hard time just trying to process <laughs> winning a regular season game 10-1. 8-1 seemed like a blow. There was times in the 8-1 game where I'm like, take your foot off the gas, boys. You're playing with fire here. This mm. is karma at its worst. They, well, the- 10 Two one Do you against know who, the San Jose Sharks last night.
2: Here's a little. Here's, here's a little trivia for you last night. Okay, who was the high minute man for ice time? Sam Lafferty, Ian Cole. I am. Uh, it could have been anybody. Who was the high minute man for forwards? Sam Lafferty. Pew Suter. <laughs> right? Like, they did take their foot off
1: the gas. They absolutely did. Pedersen played, like, 14 <laughs> minutes a night. He didn't touch the ice after Beauvillier made a 10-0. Did yeah. not. He had three shifts in the third period.
0: He was in a hammock for the last five
1: minutes of the Can game. Can I admit something? Yes. I didn't watch the third. That's fine. I was like... I, <laughs> really? Yeah.
2: Why? I'd Why? seen enough. Not a true wow. fan. You true need fan. didn't need to watch the second. Third. I didn't watch the third. It was over. The game was over. <laughs> the, the Canucks was scored their first two shots the of the
1: game. That game was over like, after ten minutes.
2: Yeah, like it was. It was an absolute beatdown. Like, it, 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 and and if you look at the Canucks right now, I mean, I, did they have a good start? Hashtag the start. Amazing, because their first ten games are over. Right, ten games. That's the start. Right? Nobody can be like, I still need to see more for the start. Right, I still need to see more for the rest of the season. Yeah, but
1: going with the first 12 games. are just start debating has been over good. which t- win you liked better, the 10-1 or the 8-1. So I think it's going pretty
2: good. This, uh, yeah, I like the 5 nothing one too. Uh, they are 7-2-1 and one, with a goal differential of plus 24. Nobody in the NHL has a goal differential that high. Vegas, who haven't lost in regulation yet, 10 0 one They're plus 19. The Bruins plus 16. The Canucks plus 24. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, it's against the Sharks. I'm like, other teams have played the Sharks. They haven't beaten them
1: 10-1. Someone took them to overtime. I can't remember which one. But that's sad. I want to say that... Over the last 30 years, we've seen some very good offensive eras in Canucks hockey, right? We had the West Coast Express era, one of the most prolific offensive lines in the NHL at the time. We had the Sedine era, right? Both of them were major award winners uh, competing for our roster. So we've seen good, talented, explosive offenses mm-hmm. from the Vancouver Canucks. You have to go back 30 plus years to find the last time the Canucks scored 10 goals. In a regular season. We have to go all the way back to 92. And that game, 11 nothing against the Calgary Flames. Oh, which is I remember nice that game.
2: Well. I remember that game like it was
1: yesterday. It, it was awesome. They had three different players score two goals that night. Trevor Linden, Gary Volk, Sergio Momesso had a pair as well. Mm-hmm. That's how long He's you have to go it. back. I, I was watching last night, and there was a certain point where every time a shot went on net, I was like, there's a good chance that's going in. <laughs> and I don't want to be the guy to diminish any of this by pointing out how atrocious a hockey team San Jose is. Mm-hmm. But very briefly, San Jose is an absolutely atrocious hockey team. They are terrible, but let's not take away from the Canucks. The
2: goal that, uh, well, McKayev scored the goal, but Petey made the move at the blue line. It was fairly early in the second period, actually. And Petey kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, like carried it into the zone and then passed it to Carson Susi, who made a really nice pass mm-hmm. to uh McKayev to finish it off. I mean, that was basically, I was like... uh is this the Harlem Globetrotters version of hockey right now? Because they are beaten up on the poor Washington Generals. It was it was it was it was an, it was a really really fun night when- for the Vancouver Canucks and their fans. And I imagine it was a tough night for the seven hundred people that showed up to watch
1: the Sharks last night. Uh, it was listed at over ten thousand, which it. is That's some a of, lie. Some That's of the lie. most creative bookkeeping I've ever seen in my you. life. Yeah, um, Quinn Hughes. Finishes with five points, matching a franchise high for points in a single game from a defenseman. I'll try and run through all of this. JT Miller, Brock Besser, and Elias Pettersson each had three points. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier, in his 500th NHL game, got off the schneid as well. Got a couple goals in there. And all of a sudden, he goes from having a slow start to the season to having a fantastic run late in hashtag the start. Yes, great. It was also Anthony Duclair's 500th game. <laughs> Was it? He yeah. did, probably didn't get as many accolades. No, as they Bovilliard. didn't. They didn't love him after the game like they did with. Um, but it, so I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm like, okay. At a certain point in a blowout, and everyone's seen one, you kind of reach that uh, breaking point where either it goes haywire because the other team's pissed off, or it drops off because it's like, well, this is kind of like a beer league game. This is almost <laughs> shinny. Let's just not get hurt out here. This one didn't really have that because the Canucks just kind of kept playing without putting, you know, their foot on the pedal and like kicking it into an extra gear. They just kept playing and doing the things that they're supposed to be doing and going through everything that Rick Tockett wants them to do. Pucks just kept going in. Mm-hmm. It was a combination of not great goaltending from San Jose, not great defending in horrific, front of the goal,
2: Horrific defending.
1: Her- just, and, horrific. And... To add, with especially in the case of the Lafferty wraparound goal, probably the worst bounces imaginable. Like there, it was the rare instance where a horrible team had nothing go right, and a good team had everything go right. Again, you do not see teams get out to ten nothing leads mm-hmm. with a considerable amount of time left in the third period in the NHL very often. And I do want to just, I want to play. God, poor David Quinn. Do you think? Uh, do you think Nico Sturm after
2: the game was like? That was a bad penalty I took. That uh, kind of put the boys off balance. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> or do you say you know what? The other nine goals also kind of. Oh, no, he was guys.
2: responsible for two of them.
1: Oh, that's true. He was yeah. okay. Um Also, it was over after that. So they they it was obviously a forlorn sharks room after that game. And apparently, Tomash Hurdle was visibly distraught mm. because that's he said it. It's the it's worst like, loss I've ever suffered.
2: Thank God, I'm rich.
1: <laughs> right there's that he's got his money. Playing like for the crying home. with your money. <laughs> um, so let's hear from D- David Quinn's a good guy. We had him on the show during the summer when we did our national show and like no one would pick up our calls. David Quinn was like, I'll come on your show. Sure. Great guy. He knows what he was getting into when he took the job. And he when he talked with us, he knew what he was getting into this season because it seemed like Eric Carlson was gone at that point. He hadn't officially been traded yet. Uh, we'll here now. From David Quinn in the aftermath of a 10-1 loss, which was the Sharks' 10th consecutive loss to start the season. David Quinn, head coach in San Jose. Coach, what are your thoughts on the first goal? Uh, what about the sixth goal? And the 10th one? God, choking on my own plate here. I knew you oh, guys that had something a, special. That was a David Quinn? <laughs> yeah, that's it was interesting. <laughs> let's hear more. Of, sure it was. Let's hear more from Mo Sizlak here, uh, following a 10-1 loss to the Vancouver Canucks.
2: Well, I actually thought after that we did some decent things. You could, you know, we, we weren't getting overwhelmed. We had some chances. We were in the O-zone, and then they get the third one, and then they get the fourth one, and it's just, you know, it just steamrolled. It just snowballed. I mean, that's really what happened, and. You know, we kill a penalty, come off, and puck goes in, off of Mario skating in the back of the net. I mean, it's just, you know, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong tonight, but we deserved it because we didn't play like a team tonight. Uh, they play for an awful lot of confidence. There's a lot of trust uh, while they're out there. Um, you know, they play fast. You know, obviously, they're off to a great start. Talks done a hell of a job with that group, and they got a lot of good players. So is he is he, is, he,
1: is he is he talking about the Canucks? Yeah, we had to cut the long-winded question out in between. there. No, no, no. Come on, what? stick with me. No, I can't. I can't even. The p- things play along that he
2: the things that he's saying are they play with a lot of confidence out there, a lot of trust. They play fast. So is, the,
1: the, the, is he talking about the the Vancouver Canucks? See, the reason that I'm not playing along with your gag is because is yesterday on this same show, we re- I read the excerpt from the Pierre LeBrun piece where he went and talked to all the other coaches that have gone up against the Canucks this year. And I was like, Paul Maurice is being complimentary of them. Andrew Burnett, John Cooper, like John Cooper coaches a Stanley Cup winning team twice over. They all love it. They all love It. That's a very Speaking good of point. Talk-It, with all of this,
2: Scott from Langley texts in. After what we saw in the preseason, the common thought was scoring would be a challenge in this structured game from It. Yeah, how many times did Halford talk about low event hockey?
1: I got that right. You're talking about it like two games ago. (laughs) Well, I look at everything fit the narrative about when he said how they wanted to play, and then the proof of concept from when he was in like Arizona. But this is not low event hockey, I'll tell you that. How
2: how many of you out there? I know there are going to be some people like I always had faith in the team that they'd be this good. How many of you out there right now are pleasantly shocked? (laughs) by what you're seeing. <laughs>
1: Come on, man. You have to. Be. Pleasantly
2: shocked. You know, there's some people who are like, I knew this was going to happen, right? Just because they're idiots. But, like, I I am flabbergasted by the first 10 games of the season. I knew it would be, you know, I didn't think they would do what they did last year. I didn't think they were going to collapse. But what? think of the games we've seen this year. They've had one bad one. One really bad one mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, but since then, and before then, really they beat the Edmonton Oilers eight to one. They absolutely dominated St. Louis that one night. One of their losses in overtime was was a BS loss anyway. Mm-hmm. I love hearing these Rangers. Hey, we swept. We swept Canada. I was like, yeah, with some help. You know, it is what what this team is doing and what. First of all, playing as a team, and you're hearing uh, other head coaches saying, like, yeah, they're playing really structured. They're playing with a lot of trust, but also the individual performances we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I remember coming into this season and going, like, come on, guys. Like, we can't expect Quinn Hughes to be much better. Like, he's been much better. He's been the best defenseman in the NHL. Yes. I would agree with that. He's been in the best. So far, it's 10 games. It's not the season, but. He's been the best defenseman. He scored
1: five points in 18 minutes last night. Though. Yeah. they, they, so they so you're conceding his this now because I 18. asked this question in the chat. Like, is Quinn Hughes the best defenseman in the For NHL? For the first 10 games of this current season, Thus Quinn far. Hughes
2: has been the best defenseman in the NHL. Uh, what Pedersen is doing, and I don't think he's been fully healthy the whole time, yeah, is ridiculous. Um, their top two centers are playing unbelievable hockey. Elias Pedersen and JT Miller. I loved seeing Pew Suter get rewarded. With a goal yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, and even on the goal that he scored, he made a terrific defensive play. Andre Kuzmenko has he started slow, but I think ever since McCaev has been on back on that line, he showed some like his goal yesterday. I don't know if anyone noticed, but like he knocked a guy off the puck, yeah, right before he got it. So he actually made like a physical play. Um now granted it did look rather easy to knock the San Jose shock, Sharks off the puck yesterday like i i you don't see many games like that in the NHL but first 10 games i am sure it's not going to be like this the whole season but
0: no, will what be. what they've well, that's done That's what i wonder cuz i keep waiting to get hurt and if every
1: single win i'm getting a little more like They're going to go through adversity. Is this they're going to go good? through
2: adversity. Seems they're going to have injuries, right? They're going to things are going to go wrong. They're not going to get the bounces There's some good teams in the NHL. You know who they're going to play on Saturday? Dallas. Dallas is a very structured team. That's a veteran team that's used to winning. They went into Calgary. They beat the Flames. They went into Edmonton. They beat the Oilers. Uh, That's going to be a tough one for the Canucks. But I think what's so encouraging and so um, pleasing to me is like, (laughs) we've had certain level of expectations for the Canucks before and they haven't even been super high and they have like badly missed those expectations right now. What they're doing was we were like, do you remember the beginning of the season? We were like, if they can be NHL 500 by the, by the end of their first 10 games, would you take that? And everyone was like, yeah, I take that because it would mean the season isn't over. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we had such a low
1: bar for hashtag the start and they have blown it Out of the water. So Cam from Delta writes in, uh, uh, early morning text, Dunbar number text line, 650-650. Get get yours in. We're going to be doing a ticket giveaway later in the show. Cam writes, why is it so hard for you to believe some people believed in this team? You guys had the negative narratives. The management said that they're a couple years off from contending, but have obviously stated they believe in this core. Cam, what Jason is asking, and I think it's a totally legitimate query, is how shocked are you not by the fact that they're having success or that there was justified belief in this team. It's the level of success. This is one of the best starts in the entire NHL. The Canucks are the highest scoring team in the NHL through 10 games. They have 46 goals scored. There are five teams in the last 30 years of professional hockey, brackets NHL version, that have scored that many goals through 10 games. No, I did not expect him to have a historical mark through the 10-game plateau. Nobody did. (laughs) And if you do, you are a liar. You are a big, bloody liar because nobody could have seen this coming. Elias Pettersson is second in NHL scoring. Quinn Hughes is fourth. JT Miller is sixth. Again, this is the same group of guys that went 0-5-2 to start last season. So, no... Nobody saw this coming, nobody predicted it. even if you had the utmost belief in this team, you did not have them as the best offensive juggernaut in the NHL through 10 games. This is that's why when I came in this morning and said, I'm having a hard time really analyzing and trying to contextualize what's happened here because it is so far off the map. Mm-hmm. I did at the very least, I thought, well maybe they'll get five or six wins to start the season in the first 10, but they'll probably really have to grind their way out. I did not expect them to beat Edmonton 8-1 and San Jose 10-1 till bookend the first 10 games of the season, by the way, which is crazy.
2: Yeah, the inbox is funny. It's like people right now are (laughs) trying to pick fights and arguments just because we can't rip the Canucks. Like Gord texting, you guys do realize it was the Sharks last night, the worst team in the league. I'm like, oh yeah, has everyone beaten them 10-1? Has everyone dominated them to that perspective? No. And what about the eight-one win over the Oilers? You cannot. What about tell the five-nothing st- win over hold the on, St. Louis hold on, hold on. Blues? You right? cannot like, tell
1: the story of last night's game without pointing out how bad San Jose is. I it's know a, it's impossible. It, I, I, but if, can it, you tell the story without pointing out how good the Canucks were? Yeah, but you have to. You have to at least have some cursory mention of how bad San Jose is. Because again. There were a lot of people that had no skin in the game, neutral NHL observers, national pundits, who looked at that. And and rightly so, their takeaway was, oh, my God, they lost 10-1 at home. Here's a text. For their 10th loss in a row. Here's a
2: text uh, to uh, in response to Cam from Delta. Uh, it's like watching a guy try to start a 100-meter dash and having him literally fall on his face three <laughs> races in a row. And then the fourth time he wins the race.
1: Yeah. It is, yeah. right? Sets a world record in the process. Yeah. 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 yeah he's, he's like, the same guy that was the, I always knew other, he'd win that fourth race, the, though.
2: Yeah. The, the, the other three. Yeah. Because management liked what they did to his legs or something like that. Yeah. Like the, the first three races is like, uh, does this guy know how to run? Not only be in a 100 meter race, but know the basics of running. Let's flash back to last season when Rick Tockett was holding practices where he was literally blowing the whistle every five seconds, and going, is everyone in the right position? And then they would make a pass, and Rick Tockett would blow the whistle and go, is everyone in the right position? Like, he was teaching this hockey team how to play defense like you had never heard the word before.
1: Mm-hmm. This was a low, low, you, you said low bar earlier. It was a low bar for this team, right? Last year at the start, it was so disheartening, and I think we really embodied that on the show on a game-by-game basis, realizing that, one, this team wasn't going to be able to compete, and two, there was going to be a long season ahead, right? When you're sunk after the first 10 games, you're, you look at the schedule like, we got months of this to go in 70-plus games. This is totally different. And it's such a treat to watch because there's a real sense of optimism here. Like, I'm looking at that game on Saturday against Dallas, and I'm like, hey, bro, if you always talk about big games. Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's early in the season, and some people will argue that you can't have a big game this early in the season. But that's a top of the Western Conference clash between the Canucks and Stars, and it feels awesome to say that, mm-hmm. that you get to see two of the best teams in the West go toe-to-toe on Hockey Night Canada on a Saturday night. Like, that's great. Those are the things we were looking forward to that we didn't get last year. Uh,
2: Let's talk about the rest of the show. We got Brady Henderson coming up uh, next. We'll talk about the Seahawks' big game in Baltimore. Moj at 7.30 to preview the BC Lions' big game at BC Place this weekend. Dolly Wall at 8 o'clock is going to join us, and he's going to give us more on uh, the Canucks' working to make trades, he's probably going to say they're working the phones big time, right? Like, how big? Like, big, big time, big time. Um, You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks are in a position right now where they've made so many calls around the league that everyone knows what they're willing to do and everyone knows that they want to do something. But I know we're hearing it more and more, and why would the Canucks want to give up any sweeteners? In any trades, like let's try. Let's say they're trying to, still trying to trade Garland. Right? Um They're not desperate right now. No, nope. they're not in a desperate posi- such a nice position, feeling to be in. Right? Not. They're desperate. like, all right, fine. We'll keep them. Whatever things are going well. Right? Like this, Mark Friedman guy's coming. He's been all right. Mm-hmm. Tyler Myers has figured it out a little bit. Myers was like plus four last night. He's played some pretty good games in a row. Yep. That has to be said. So they're not quite as desperate as they were. He might just be like, you know, what, we'll wait till the trade deadline it's- when we're when we're when we're loading up. Um But so we'll talk to Rick Dollywall about that. The issues, I mean, the roster issues still remain with the Canucks. I'm sure they would still like to get another defenseman or even two in there. But right now, it's it's nice. It's nice to be in this position of like, okay, whatever. Just keep we're, rolling. We're cap compliant. Doesn't really matter. All right. Okay. Brady Henderson coming up next on the Halford and Brough Show. Sportsnet 650.
0: Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>
1: Two on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on SportsNet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in Hour One of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. It's time for our Seahawks preview brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre game to post game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Visit them online. Comes now from ESPN's Brady Henderson here on the Halford and Bruff Show on SportsNet 650.
0: Morning, Brady. How are you? morning fellas doing great happy
1: friday happy friday to you as well we'll get to the ravens game in a minute here it's obviously a big one maybe their biggest test of the year but i want to talk about the big trade this week as the seahawks acquired defensive lineman leonard williams from the giants and that's funny because Bref and i actually remembered back to that game and i think it was in 2020 when the giants beat the seahawks 17 to 12 it was a real low scoring defensive affair and leonard williams was all over the place and we joked that Pete Carroll and John Schneider made a mental note that we should get that guy one day, and that day has arrived. Uh, what are the expectations for Williams for the immediate this weekend, Sunday against the Ravens and beyond?
0: Yeah, well, he's definitely going to play uh, this Sunday, and I would expect him to play quite a bit. I mean, they gave up a second-round pick for what only could be half the season of him, considering that he's going to be a free agent in March, and so they're not going to waste any time. Uh, getting him going and and I've gotten the sense from hearing them talk about how they're going to use him that it's going to be a mixture of getting him on the field uh at the same time with Jaron Reed and Draymond Jones and kind of you know more of a traditional uh three four look that they really haven't run a whole lot this year they've done a lot of the two down linemen stuff with Jones and Reed and then two outside linebackers and and uh with nickel personnel um so I think they're going to do some of that. They're going to rotate him in with those guys to keep them fresh. But I think you're also going to see packages where you see both those guys on the field. And they think he is a three-down player. That's a big reason why it was him over uh, you know, guys like Montez Sweat and really guys like Chase Allen, too. I know, um, you know both of those guys went for less uh, than what the Seahawks gave up for Leonard Williams, but remember, they were available, or at least Chase Young was still available. I can't remember when what was traded, but Young, Young was traded on the day of the deadline. The Seahawks got Williams a day before, so mm-hmm. Young was very much available to them. Um, he was not their guy from everything I've heard, uh, just logically and also just from talking to somebody in the organization. Uh, and part of that is they just feel like Williams is the more complete player.
1: How big of a statement was it from the general manager, John Schneider, that following the season ending injury to Nwosu, the, he went out and responded by getting Williams, making that trade and adding Frank Clark, who's a familiar face on the defensive side of
0: things as well. It's a huge move. Yeah. Especially when you consider what they gave up. I mean, a second round pick. Now, part of that you got to realize of course is the, the salary situation. So the Giants agreed to pay almost all of the $10 million that he had remaining in base salary. And that's, that's obviously part of the ne- negotiation. And that's why it's not, you know, a third, a uh, second, or excuse me, a third or a fourth, uh, just because the Seahawks, that there's a lot of value to them, especially a guy, a team that didn't really have a whole lot of money to spend. There's a lot of value in getting the Giants to foot that bill. But at any rate, that's a big price uh, for, again, a guy. I mean, they're going to try to resign him after, uh, after the season, but they've got other guys, Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, two offensive linemen, Noah Fant, you know, other guys who are going to be coming due. And so there is by no means any guarantee that they are going to be able to get him. And so they're effectively giving up a second round pick potentially for what could just be a half a season. So that's a huge statement about, um, you know, how much they are trying to win right now, not necessarily mortgaging the future totally to do so, but taking a, a, a big piece of the future and Pete Carroll I thought put it in an interesting way. When asked about you know balancing the need to to improve with the long term, and the way he put it was, you know, when they're thinking of making that uh, that move, and they're talking about giving up a second round pick, you know, they're they're weighing that second round pick versus what they could get. And and the way he put it was, you know, that could be four years basically of Ken Walker the third, or four years of Zach Charbonnet, or of Boye Mafe, um, you know. Three second round, recent second round picks that look like they're going to work mm-hmm. out pretty well. Now, the unspoken counter to that is that it could also be, you know, four years of Dee Estridge or, or four years of Daryl Taylor, who's kind of been something in between there. He's a good player, but um, maybe kind of a flawed player. And so um, the bottom line is they, they gave up a lot to get him. And I think it shows a lot about how much they're trying to win right now.
2: Um, Brady, do the Seahawks need to run the ball more to help Geno Smith?
0: They do. Yeah, to, to me, there's no doubt about that. And, look, there, I think there's only a, a small handful of quarterbacks who – you know,
1: I think we might have lost Brady fired. there. Right. Well,
2: let, let's get Brady back with a better connection, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll have this conversation. Yeah, I was reading a few things uh, over the week about the Seahawks just needing to take advantage of the running backs they do have. Mm-hmm. And put Geno Smith in better positions, whether that's going to be um, shorter, third downs. or And then plus you bring in the ability, you bring in a better ability to use play action. And mm-hmm. Geno Smith has been pretty good on play action. And, you know, I mean, it's just a kind of one of those things about the game of football. If you have that running threat, it makes it easier on the quarterback. A
1: super tough test two weeks in a row for Geno. That Browns defense was very good and is very good. And now they get a Ravens team, which is second in yards allowed, first in points allowed, and third ranked against the pass. So this is another one where they're going to have to find ways to make life easier on Geno because it's not an easy matchup. We got Brady Henderson back on the line right now. Um, Brady, we were mid-answer there before we got cut off. If you just want to pick it up uh, where we left off, that would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I, I was saying that. I, I agree with you. I think they are going to have to run the ball uh, more in this game, and and not that T. Carroll ever needs any excuse to do that. But um, I, I, you know, you saw them really get away from the run last week against Cleveland in the second half. They only had a small handful of rushes, and and that certainly was not by design, or at least not totally. I think part of it was, you know, their pass protection was holding up. I think, uh, you know, against a really good. Defensive line and against Miles Garrett, and so there were some plays maybe where they they kind of leaned on the passing game a little more. But they also, you know, they had that stretch of seven straight possessions where I think they punted five times and had two interceptions, and and I think most of those punts and even one of the interception was a three and out. Um, and so they just didn't have enough plays to get to their running game. But I we we did this, you know, we do little predictions uh, every week on ESPN.com, and, and one of my predictions for this one was that. You're going to see Ken Walker the third and Zach Charbonnet combine for at least 30 carries in this game. I don't think they've had more than 27 or 28 combined in any game this season. So I think you're going to see them kind of lean more on that run game. Uh, you know, Baltimore likes to run it as well, even though they're probably throwing it a little more this year under their new coordinator. But these at their cores are two run first teams, and, and this has the look of, as Tyler Lockett described it yesterday, kind of a grimy game. I think it's going to be kind of one of those classic – Uh, you know, AFC North type games where it's a lot of running and two tough defenses going at it. But yes, I do think they're going to have to lean on the run game if for no other reason than to take some pressure off of Geno Smith.
2: Are, Are Seahawks fans being too hard on Geno Smith? I'm looking around the league and I'm seeing even players like Patrick Mahomes have bad games. You know, Josh Allen has been pretty inconsistent. These guys are considered the elite quarterbacks in the NFL and even they are making a number of mistakes. Are we being too hard on Geno Smith?
0: I don't think so although I do think that's a good point is that you know Josh Allen throws interceptions and, and Patrick Mahomes has off days I, apparently he was sick last weekend but um yeah I mean I think you're you're allowed a couple interceptions every year I think the the problem is it's now 5 over the last 3 games in addition to some other plays where he would like to have back mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting how in that game Sunday he really seemed to lock on to DK Metcalf and there was Something's crazy, like 14 targets for Metcalf and only five catches. Now, one of those catches was a pretty big one, uh, but that was kind of odd. It it just seemed like he was locking onto him after having a lot of early success with Tyler Lockett, especially on that first drive. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the interceptions that he threw in that game, I think were different than the two he had in the red zone, the two previous weeks against Arizona and Cincinnati, where, those were the two red zone picks. Were just throws where he was getting way too aggressive. Yes, um, for that situation, knowing that you're you're already inside the twenty, you've got a likelihood of at least three points in your back pocket. So there's no need to make those throws. These ones to me seemed a little different. The first one it, that was a, a defender, you know, a cornerback undercutting the route, making a pretty nice play on the ball. Um, and the other one was a defensive tackle, three hundred pound guy, dropping into coverage, sticking his arm out, and getting the dream bounce and making a really nice play himself. So the interceptions were a little different, but that said, it's five interceptions in three games, and I I don't think he's totally playing, you know, the the point guard style of quarterback that Pete Carroll wants him to play, and so and it doesn't get any easier this week with a really tough defense, a, a pretty good pass rush. At least in terms of sacks, I don't know if the, the the pressure the the win rate is as high as the sack total would suggest, but at any rate, it's still another really good defense, and it's going to be another really big test for Gino in the offense. Well, I think
1: the biggest and most glaring issue is that the uh, touchdown to interception ratio is nowhere near what it was last year. Like Gino had thirty touchdown passes and eleven interceptions last year, so roughly a three to one ratio. That's down to nine and six, and when you look at it, like he really hasn't thrown for that many scores this year. Mac Jones has as many passing touchdowns. Baker Mayfield has one more. So when you look at how he burst onto the scene and took over that starting role, it was predicated on keeping the turnovers low and being able to get the passing touchdowns. And that aspect of his game just isn't there this year.
0: Yeah. And I think this is one, this could be one area where you point to the offensive line and say, okay, that's, this is an example of how they're missing, you know, being at full strength there. And and look, by and large, they've done an incredible job of getting by with, with, you know, different pieces. You know, they played without both starting tackles for a number of weeks. They've got had different people in and out at left and right guard. And part of me wonders if one of the byproducts of that is that you're not seeing the deep passing, you're not seeing as many explosive passing plays, those kind of plays that take longer to develop, uh, just because it's harder to trust your pass protection to hold up that long. And I wonder if that's where some of the missing touchdown production has gone, just because, I mean, unless I'm unless I'm missing one, you're just not seeing as many of those, you know, deep play action, seven-step drops, max protection, uh, and you find Tyler Lockett open, you know, he makes a great catch for a 40-yard touchdown. Like, that's, that's kind of a classic Seahawks uh, big play, and you just haven't seen as many of those, and I wonder if part of that is is the offensive line not being at full strength, but I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like all of this said, we can have the Geno conversation all day and, and there's no doubt times where he needs to be better. Uh, and, and I think that it's gotten to the point where it's got to be at least a little concerning inside the organization above about, you know, can he play that quarterback that's, that's, you know, point guard style of quarterback that P care wants him to play all that said guys, He's the quarterback of a five and two team yep. that's in first
1: place. I know. And it's it actually if you had told me three weeks ago that the Seahawks would be in first place at this stage of the season, I was that there's no chance because San Francisco looked borderline unstoppable. But here we are. Seahawks go into Baltimore this weekend. They're actually six point uh, dogs on the road. So that'll be interesting. Ten o'clock. AM, our time is the kickoff. This is your home of the Seattle Seahawks, I remind you. Uh, Brady, thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the weekend. We'll do this again next Friday. All
0: right, sounds good, fellas. Thank you. Talk to you later. Yep.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's Brady Henderson, uh, ESPN, NFL insider, Seahawks insider here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Though all those lines are, I remind you, the six-point Uh, Seahawks deficit going in to Baltimore, uh, all courtesy of playnow.com. We're going to be doing our playnow.com locks of the week in the 7.30 segment right after Bob the Moj Marjanovic joins us on the show. Um, There
2: was a what we learned that came in. I'm going to read it now. Uh, I think it's unsigned, unfortunately, because it's a good what we learned. I learned I will not be moving from the couch this weekend. Saturday, Newcastle Arsenal, Huskies USC and the Canucks against the Dallas Stars. Sunday it is the Dolphins versus the Chiefs. Is that an early start because it's in Germany? I think it might be. It's in Frankfurt. Um, And then Seahawks Ravens Cowboys Eagles and then the Whitecaps LAFC and finally the Bills and Bengals. What he didn't even include in that was the BC Lions uh, playoff game on Saturday. Yeah, this is going to be a sports watching weekend so last night while the Canucks were beating up on the San Jose Sharks I actually started watching another game a little more closely because it was a little closer and I was still interested in the result and it was a game in Edmonton between the Dallas Stars the Canucks next opponent Mm. and the Edmonton Oilers and the Dallas Stars got a 4-1 lead in that and there was a point last night where the Canucks were winning 4-0, and it was still early in the game, and the Oilers were losing 4-1, and I was like, yes. This feels screenshot good. on, on this feels good. And then I kind of worried a little bit because I thought I might have jinxed it because the Oilers really pushed in the third period, and they actually scored a couple of goals. Sam Gagne. He's back. He's back, and he's scoring goals. For the Edmonton Oilers, um, Gagne and Evander Kane might have been the best Oilers forwards last night, which is good for them, but probably not a good thing considering they've got McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh At any rate, Dallas held on by their fingernails and they won this one 4 to 3. So Dallas improved to 7-1 one and 1. That's the team that's coming in to play the Canucks on so, Saturday night. Yep. They might present a bigger challenge than the San Jose Sharks who still have not won a game this season and may not. Who's to say though? Win a game this season. Who's to
1: say? The San Jose Sharks are nothing if not unpredictable. No. So
2: meanwhile, yeah. the Edmonton Oilers fell to 2-6 and 1. And I I've, I've heard a few people with this sentiment. Well, if the Canucks had that really bad start in their first, you know, seven or eight games last season, and at that point everyone was like, well, too bad, like, they're not making the playoffs, there's no chance, Is does the same hold true for Edmonton? And my response is no, because the Edmonton Oilers have showed beyond a doubt that they have the potential to get hot and go on a run. That was the thing with the Canucks last season. There was, like, people would be like, well, they could still get hot. I'm like, can they? <laughs> are you they, are playing? you sure? Like, are they good enough to get hot and and go on a run? Uh, I mean, they got really hot in the Bruce. There it is, Aaron, and it still wasn't good enough. Um, but I, what I will say is, the Edmonton Oilers have dug themselves a sizable hole. Yeah, they have a, and if they don't get better goaltending and if they don't start playing better defense, they might
1: miss the playoffs. They have a, it's possible. They have a point two seven eight points percentage. That's through ten, that that's, they've played 9, I'll say that. So they haven't hit that that 10 game mark yet, but they're they're going to need to play at a pretty good clip mm-hmm. to make up for the rest of the season. Now, they could very well blast off an 8 or 9 or 10 game yeah, winning streak, for sure. Because there's proof of concept there. They've done it before. They've scored in bunches. They've gone, I like you mentioned, they've gone on runs before. That's why it feels different, but I am more than ready to you know exist at a world where maybe Edmonton doesn't make the playoffs because I've seen it before teams have gotten off to bad starts before and not righted the ship I still say it's more likely than not that they make it but I'll say this after 10 games I'm much more down on Edmonton Mm -hmm. as being a top three team in the Pacific do you remember when the Kings
2: won the Stanley Cup in 2014 I do and then the very next year they were really struggling, and people kept on saying, yeah, they'll, they'll play their way out of it. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll be fine. And ultimately, they weren't. Like, they just could not get it going, and were they a good team? Yeah. They just won their second Stanley Cup in three years. Obviously, they were a good team, um, and that was, by the way, the same year that Vancouver and Calgary mm-hmm. snuck into the playoffs because there was another team that missed that was a surprise miss. I, I can't remember, but because yeah, right. of that and that was willie's first year and uh and they and they were able to make the playoffs
1: san Jose that missed
2: it might have they been. were in the
1: middle of their crisis it, i think
2: yeah it might it might have been the san jose sharks regardless uh, other scores in the nhl last night um, and, oh, and by the way, it should be noted that the Oilers are in Vancouver on Monday night. So that's going to be an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, other scores in the NHL last night, the, Kra- the Kraken beat the Preds 4-2. So the Kraken improved to 4-5-2. and I think they've won two in a row now. So maybe the Kraken are finding their game. Uh, <laughs> the Golden Knights, man. 5-2 winners over the Winnipeg Jets. Mm-hmm. Golden Knights are now 10 0 and one, and when you think about it, there's just two teams in the Pacific Division now. That's it. It's the Knights and the Canucks. I haven't counted. Actually, LA. we should talk about LA just a little bit because that's a good team. And they went into Ottawa last night and they beat the Senators 3-2. to two, And that was coming off a very impressive win over the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto. I feel like people don't talk about the Kings enough because maybe they're not like interesting enough. But when you look at what they've got down the middle with Kopitar... Uh, Deneau and Dubois. Like I don't know. I love what the Canucks have down the middle in their top two spots with Pedersen and JT Miller, but I don't know if there's a team in the NHL that
1: has three centers of that caliber mm-hmm. all on the same team. So LA's start to the year. Now, it's not as good as Vancouver's. They're 7-2. The Canucks are 7-2-1. and one. But... Uh, We should mention that Los Angeles with that win over Ottawa last night in Ottawa is now undefeated on the road this season. They've won Mm -hmm. their first five road games. So it is a really impressive start. If you want to say something about Edmonton's slow start to the season and where all these teams stack up in the Pacific, this is really, if you go and look at it by standings, by form, the Oilers power play stinks too right now, which is really weird. Um, The top three teams in the Pacific after 10 games, are Vegas, which we expected, L.A., which we kind of expected, and Vancouver. Edmonton's not even really in the conversation. Yes, talent-wise and on paper, they absolutely are. But right now, you're looking and you're seeing the big three are, amazingly, the Vancouver Canucks, Los Angeles Kings, and the Vegas Golden Knights. It's great. Can we talk about the
2: the next, let's say... Let's say seven games. Do ten.
1: Do Even the eight games. Game no, seconds. but like,
2: look, look, this is so exciting, these next games coming up for the Canucks. So obviously Saturday night is their next one. They get the Dallas Stars, one of the best teams in the league, one of the best teams in the conference. The Stars are just beat the Flames and the Oilers in Alberta, so they're looking for the kind of sweep of Western Canada uh, when they come into Rogers Arena. Monday – they play the Edmonton Oilers. And Speaking of sweeps. That doesn't, that doesn't need to be hyped up. We all know the Edmonton Oilers are going to be desperate to win that game, desperate to get some measure of revenge on the Canucks for the first two games of the season. And then they head out on this three-game road trip to Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal. Right? Obviously, those games are interesting. When they come home from that trip, the New York Islanders are at Rogers Arena, Mm -hmm. Bo Horvat in the New York Islanders. Then after that, they go to Calgary to play the Flames, and of course we we're going to look forward to that because the Flames are our disaster right now. It is so fun to look at this schedule and be like, ooh, I can't wait for that one. Ooh, mm-hmm. I can't wait for that one, as opposed to the last two seasons when you look at the schedule and be like, how many of these are left?
1: Let's see what else God. is going
2: on around the list. God, are there
1: 60 games left? My God. I got to play this team again? <laughs> <laughs> Jason, Lost them eight, one. Jason tuned out of a game yesterday and was flipping around because the Canucks were too good. Yeah. Not too bad. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a shocking. Thing. Oh, I. By the way, I did want to really quick mention, and we when we were doing our NHL roundup yesterday, we did not mention the Bruins Leafs game from yesterday. Now, the sub story here, the sub head, if you will, is that the Bruins won the game three two in a shootout, uh, which. In their centennial season, they have now set a franchise record for getting points in 10 consecutive games to start a season. The big story out of Toronto is how angry and irate fans were after Timothy Liljigren was knocked out and Sheldon Keith said he's going to miss a significant amount of time with another dirty play from Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. Now, do we have the audio here of Keith? If we don't, it's okay because we're right up against it for time. It's almost a better visual anyway because Sheldon Keefe was gritting his teeth and trying not to say anything that would get him fined, mm-hmm. but he was livid, furious with Brad Marchand. Here's the audio now. We'll play it real quick. Sheldon Keefe after losing Timothy Liljegren for a significant period of time following a really cheap play by Brad Marchand. <laughs> got nothing. It just it just he didn't see the stick going between his legs. He can't open to make him go feet force feet first into the boards in the most dangerous area of the ice. So he didn't see it. Is there an update
2: on, on the green?
1: He's gonna miss by it looks like significant time, but we're not gonna know for sure until we get him home and get a picture. But uh, it's not short term at this point. Is there foot, any- can opener whatever you want to call it. it was it was pretty cheap. Is and there any there talk early of- on the play?
2: Is there any talk of Marshawn getting suspended? Because McAvoy just got four games.
1: Yeah, there's been discussions, but mostly in the uh, online sphere. Like, (laughs) nothing from anyone of significance. But they were livid because, one, they lost Lodrigan, who's an important player for them, um, Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time. And, two, there was no penalty on the play. And Marshawn had the smirk going on post game. I don't know if you saw the very brief clip, but I guess Keefe was barking at Marshawn in the aftermath. And then one of the Bruins reporters asked Marshawn what he was saying to him. And Brad replied, ah, he was just saying hi. And then he had a little chuckle. So I don't know if that's going to make the situation any better. But we will keep an eye on that because there could be supplemental discipline coming for Brad Marshawn. But we got to get going here. Moving along, 7 o'clock hour of the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. We've got an open segment coming up next. We'll dive back into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket and go back to the 10-1 win for the Vancouver Canucks last night over the San Jose Sharks. At 7.30, we're going to look ahead to the first of two big events at BC Place this weekend. Lions, Stampeders, Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us to break down the CFL Divisional Semifinal uh, at BC Place on Saturday. That's all coming up next. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.